From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, is in the house. If you've got a question for Colin, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Friday. The aforementioned Vice President of Theology here at EWTN, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you? Doing pretty good. Yep. So uh, it's a big day for us here. We don't really tout this much, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of a milestone year, so we've made a little bit of it. But on May 20th, 1962, uh, when my mother was pregnant with me, (laughs) Mother Angelica established the monastery here on these hallowed grounds in Irondale, Alabama. So today we celebrate the 60th mm-hmm. anniversary of the founding of that monastery. Yeah. And Lord have mercy, if she would have known what was going to happen at that moment, she might have been too scared to continue. You know, she didn't really. And um, it, it might help our listeners to get a little context here. She had had an accident while waxing the floor up at the monastery in Canton, Ohio. And she lost an, uh, she lost an argument with an electronic floor buffer. And they are, they are tough arguers, too. And she was thrown down and injured. And so she uh, had, I guess, the potential of being bedridden or at least a good deal of suffering. And she made a promise that if she were healed, she would found for the Lord a monastery in the south. And she was healed, and she kept that promise. And so in 1962, five of the nuns from Canton came down here. Uh, There is a small house on the property, which is now part of the friar's property, um, a little ranch house that was there, I guess, predating the nuns, obviously. And they lived there for a while until the Our Lady of the Angels, in which EWTN is located these days, uh, was built. And then, of course, in 2000, uh, they moved the monastery up to uh, Hansville, Alabama, where Our Lady of the Angels Monastery is located today. But all of that happened uh, 60 years ago today. And... Uh and we're here now because of it. <laughs> that was that was the, the 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 impetus of it all. So what did and, and it's for you know most people would not know just by listening if you haven't visited the network recently. But um, it has undergone transformation over the years to be sure, and growth over the years to be sure. Mm-hmm. And really, since Mother went into her cell, uh, the growth has been exponential and has continued uh, after her moving on to her eternal reward. 
but even the surrounding areas now have not been exempt from human progress. And uh, some people, if you haven't been here in more than a year, you won't right. recognize the landscape because uh, if you look at the four corners – uh, uh, at the corner of Grants Mill Road and Old Leeds Road, which a lot of people who watch the television network are familiar with Old Leeds Road, uh, the monastery, the, the network property sits on one corner, and on the opposite corner, they're building an apartment complex, yes. and directly across the street, they're building a giant shopping center with a supermarket anchor, and they're going to put a big roundabout in the middle of the whole thing, so it's... It, it, it's Wildly different than it was when she landed. It certainly was, because in those days... As a matter of fact, the neighbor's horses used to get loose on the monastery property <laughs> back in the day. Well, and I noticed that one of the houses they tore down, when the house was down, but ne- not all the lo- things on the property, there was like chicken ho- coops or something back there, too. So I guess <laughs> oh, now don't only... Tell, don't tell Father I, I was going to say, <laughs> we better not mention that that's, that situation. But yeah, it has quite a change. It's changed quite a bit. Her The monastery property... You know, obviously, after they had built a monastery and moved into it, and they had the the church, which we were, had just re-roofed, which is nice. And uh, since then, uh, other buildings have been added. The friars have, have built a building. Uh, and, of course, the, the monastery was extended first towards the west with all the studio stuff when Mother decided to build a, you know, just had to have a radio studio or a TV studio because she was not content with uh, appearing on secular stations, which also uh, aired moral filth and even uh, sacrilegious and blasphemous filth. Yeah. And, uh, a- and when people, as the organization was growing, um, there was a, a period of time when there was a, um, a bit of a land rush that was going on amongst the <laughs> department heads for space in the new building as they were moving uh, to Hansville, the, the sisters. And uh, and one of the coveted spots you had kind of uh, tried to stake a claim to, but our viewer services department was given deference over you. And uh, Lisa Gould, who used to run our viewer services department, she's now retired and back in her hometown of Cleveland, um, was not only given that space for her department, but given Mother's cell for her office. That's true. And that was, I think that was sort of the, you know, very often when, um, you know, when Mother had to travel and that, I, I believe it was that that area, that area had been used. And of course, it was where the old uh, entrance, she had the carport nearby where, you know, a lot of the in and out activity of the monastery was going on. So it was you know, ideal for mothers. So uh, Lisa got that prime location, as Lisa would tell you, because, you know, she always she she always was called Buddy by Mother Angelica. They were great <laughs> friends, and, uh, you know, she benefited from that. But so uh, you got banished to an outbuilding. Well, we needed quiet, and I think we're <laughs> grateful for it. How do you do theology? How do you think about different things? How do you study and read and review videos and that? So we got the area over the garage. <laughs> so that's uh, which the garage itself at that point had become our security department. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, just symptomatic of all the changes that have taken place in those Many years, especially since 1981 and December, when the uh, you know the the status of EW10 was inked, and then in August of the following year, and the, our, the assumption when the broadcasting began, uh, a lot of changes have taken place on these grounds, and and we've seen them, uh, and so 
You know, we're gr- very grateful to the Lord for uh, healing Mother and bringing her to uh, Alabama. Uh, and I think what she was able to accomplish here, you know, we, we have this experience all the time. You only have to say, especially the older people, maybe the younger people, not, you only have to say, oh, I, I worked for Mother Angelica. And whether you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever, they knew exactly who Mother Angelica was. And I never got a negative reaction to saying I worked for Mother Angelica. It was amazing. Um, and I think at different times uh, when the sisters were here especially, but even since, um, I think at one point we were the, this was the number two tourist attraction in the state of Alabama, or at least in this part of the state of Alabama. You know, so it, it shows what has been accomplished in these 60 years through her action and through her prayers. And, you know, she's, she, she was a Franciscan, but I don't think she will be offended by saying that she followed the aura at labora of the Benedictines. You combine prayer and work, and that's how you advance the kingdom. And she certainly did that. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that it's it's funny because you'll you'll go around town in, in just your various comings and goings as a resident of the Birmingham metropolitan area, and you know it, there's a there's a, a stronger Catholic presence in the population than there was in 1962, but it is still relatively tiny by comparison to the remain the the, the the general population. And when somebody will find it's it's funny because somebody will find out that you work at EWTN. And they'll say, what is EWTN? And you'll explain it to them. Or I don't even explain it to them. I'll say, Mother Angelica. And then immediately they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> EWTN sometimes gets a little bit of a blank stare. Yeah, you say, right. Mother Angelica. That she, she knew, they knew her. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just another chapter in the rich tradition of uh, contemplative religious throughout the history of uh, Christendom. And really, um, we won't know to the degree in this life that we will in the next life, but really the church has stood on the shoulders of the prayers of the religious since its beginning. You know, that's absolutely true. And of course, I think the remarkable coincidence that has been commented on many times is that back in the 1200s, when Francis was establishing the the men's religious orders and his friend Claire followed him into that life, she was not able to make Mass on Christmas Day, and she had a vision of Mass taking place. And that, not quite television, was able to be affected by one of her daughters 800 years later. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you may be listening to us today on a terrestrial radio station, one of the 380-plus terrestrial radio stations we have around the United States. Um, if you're not, and if you're not because you don't have one of those EWTN-affiliated stations in your area, then perhaps our Lord is tugging on your heart a little bit to maybe play a role in making that happen in your area. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what that would entail and how you might be able to help play a role, 
then uh, get a hold of us. You can uh, contact Steve, Steve Splonskowski. And uh, you don't have to worry about spelling Splonskowski. It's just Steve. Just, so send Steve an email at radio at EWTN.com. Uh, that's uh, Steve. And then the uh, address is radio at EWTN.com. A couple of lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is... Uh, sunshine in the great state of Wyoming, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Sunshine, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was wondering, so me and my family are joining the Catholic Church on Pentecost, so we've been meeting with the priest. And um, when, you know, we finish the conversation, we're all leaving and he says, uh, God bless you, when mm-hmm. he says goodbye, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't really know if you're supposed to, like, to say God bless you back, <laughs> or like what, what the proper response sure. is yeah. to that. Well, I, I think it's fabulous that you're interesting and interested in Catholic protocol. Uh, but this is really, all it's really called for here is human protocol. When a priest is blessing you in a, a formal way, uh, I assume you've been to Mass and you know that there is, a, there is a blessing on the part of the priest at the end of Mass or in Eucharistic adoration. The Lord himself blesses us when the priest blesses the congregation holding the monstrance or makes the sign of the cross with the monstrance. But this is just politeness. So uh, I, you're free to respond, God bless you too, Father, or thank you, God bless you, or or anyway. So that's politeness. That's not an official Catholic thing really at all. It's just ordinary uh, courtesy. So fee, feel free to respond from the heart. Does that take the pressure off, Sunshine? <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right, you're okay. welcome. Thanks for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is William in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. William, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hello, Colin. Uh, guys, thanks for taking my call today. Sure. I was wondering if you could. Uh, I was wondering if you could clear up a seemingly contradiction that Jesus kind of said when he was given the parable about the narrow gate, the wide mm-hmm. road. He said that only few will find it. Right. But then later on, later on in his ministry, he tells his apostles that in my father's house there are many mansions. So I'm a little bit confused as to whether or not there's going to be a few or there's going to be many. <laughs> well, you know, the estimate of people who have lived in human history is probably up around 100 billion at this point. So uh, even if you got a few of that number, there would still be many mansions. Uh, Many mansions is a way to explain the unexplainable, you know, and that is that the degree of holiness, which is measures our charity and measures our justice and many other things, uh, the degree of our of our charity will be different from everyone else. The Blessed Mother, of course, the holiest person who ever lived, holier even than the, the highest angel. And there will be somebody, if you will, who squeaked into heaven. There will be that uh, whatever billionth person. We hope there could be that many. But whoever is the last person to get in with the least degree of charity, but nonetheless 
dying in the justice of God in, in, in the state of grace. And so the charity defines the holiness, and I think in this sense it defines the mansions and the rewards. And there are special rewards the Lord talks about for, uh, for you know, he talks about the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold. Uh, there's the, the crown of martyrdom or the crown of virginity. We think of Maximilian Kolbe, who are, uh, was appeared to and was offered both, uh, was offered one or the other, and he took both, and he got both. So the rewards of each will be different according to their merits, according to their fidelity, and ultimately uh, their place in heaven according to their degree of charity at the moment of death. So um, it's unlikely to be a few considering how many, uh, how many overall uh, have lived. But in any particular generation, you can look along and see that the many are not on the path to the narrow gate. And that's what he's talking about. In our little slice of time, where we get to decide, are we going to go through the narrow way or the wide way, we may be among the few. But when we get there, there will be the many who, over the course of history, uh, have been faithful to God, uh, and so are we being rewarded for that. And I think that sort of puts the two together from that uh, point of view. So it's really more of a quality illustration as opposed to a quantity illustration. Right. I, I think it, it may be just simply on the temporal that as each of us looks at our time, I think we can see whether it was our Lord's. Look how few Jews followed him in the ultimately. Uh, uh, in Judaism, there was the Jewish core, if you will, of the church, of the early church, but most did not. And the same can be said of the Gentiles, I think, over human history as well, as he appeals to each through light and grace and through uh, positive evangelization, obviously. But, you know, in the end, few answer that call, however they receive it. And, but in, and we see that in our time. But yet there will be many souls in eternal life enjoying the, the peace of God, enjoying the kingdom. Because over human history, there have been a great, great many souls. Thanks, William. We appreciate the phone call. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Pick up a phone and give us a call for uh, Colin Donovan here on Open Line Friday. Next up is Diana in the great state of Oklahoma. She is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Diana, you're on with Colin Donovan. Oh, hello. Thank you. Thank you for getting my call. You're welcome. Okay. I've had this thing in my mind. All right. Uh, let me just give you a, a, a tiny brief uh, background. Okay. I'm a Catholic and been, been Catholic all my life, but I did, in a sense, leave it in a sense only because when I got married to my husband, he was non-Catholic, you know, he uh, he was mm -hmm. Church of Christ, uh, but we married in the Catholic Church. We did everything in the Catholic Church. We even raised our kids Catholic, all right? Um, so, uh, come forward, 39 years of marriage, he decided he didn't love me anymore, so he decided to get a divorce from me. So, um, so now, I'm in a, I, I don't understand all of this yet that well. I am... I am back in in Catholicism because I was going to his church because I thought, okay, 
maybe I can get him to go to church, to his church, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I started going to different churches because I'm also a piano player, and so I was a piano player for several churches, things such as that. But anyway, uh, so now that I am divorced from him because, you know, he, he was the one that filed and everything. Sure. He's wanting to get married. Now, I don't know how all of that works. Uh, can he get married since he was not a Catholic to begin with and never became a Catholic? Well, I'm assuming you just mean married generically and not married in the Catholic Church. And the answer to that is, yeah, the state will marry anybody who's not marrying to be a bigamist civilly. So, yeah, he—I mean, he can marry and get a document from the state saying he's married, but if he was baptized and you were baptized uh, at the time you were married all those many years ago— uh, that marriage bond still remains. Uh, and so it, before God, it won't be a marriage, but the state will recognize it because they're doing the paper. Uh, so I, I think you look at it from that point of view. Yes, he will have something from the, whatever state you're in, or the state he's in, saying, yeah, we have, we have married you civilly. You are married. But the, God doesn't care about that. He cares that he made a commitment to you uh, 39 years before he decided that he was going to be a bum and not keep that commitment. Uh, I think for most men, that's an incomprehensible reality, how you stay married that long uh, and not uh, and not be faithful to it to the end. But anyway, um, if he was baptized and you were baptized, then your marriage is valid till one of you dies. Uh, and the state can do what it wants, but God will, of course, do what he wants. Does that help, Diana? Well, even if he was baptized in in another church? Doesn't matter. Baptism is baptism. He's baptized. He forms the intention to marry you as a Christian. St. Paul tells us that that's a sacrament of Christ and the Church. Um, you being the representative of the church in that context, and that is valid before God as a sacramental marriage. Now, most Protestant religions, uh, churches, don't follow that logic, but the Catholic Church has followed it always. Uh, it, it will investigate whether the vows were properly exchanged at the time of the original marriage, it's sort of hard to imagine after 39 years that uh, somehow they're now null, but I'm sure as if he's not Catholic, he's not interested. He's not interested in the church's permission. He's gotten his permission, and all he and that's all he wants. Now, <clears throat> the Church of Christ swings on a bit of a wide arc from building to building, if you know what yeah. I mean. So I suppose there could be a possibility— that he was not baptized with proper form or matter. Yeah, but who's going to pursue that? Um, You know, practically that has to be done in the Catholic Church. Now, if you decided you want to investigate that, you could, uh, as a Catholic, um, whether he would cooperate with such an investigation. Uh, But the assumption is that that long ago, the presumption would have been that the documentation or the evidence of a valid baptism was presented and shown uh, so that, you know, everything was above board. 
you would have had to have gotten a, dispens- a disparity of cult dispensation. In other words, a Catholic and a non-baptized person. And if you didn't get that at the time, that's your evidence that the church considered him validly, validly married. So I assume they did not, you didn't get such a dispensation. And you can think about that and try to determine it. And that'll answer your question, actually. God bless you, Diana. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Got a big shout-out today to congratulate one of our EWTN Radio family members this week celebrating their sixth anniversary with EWTN. It's WJPN 106.3 in Prince William, Virginia. Thanks to Mr. Paul Hope and his team at St. John Paul the Great Catholic High School for six years of solid Catholic programming with EWTN. So a big shout-out to all the students there at St. John Paul the Great Catholic High School's six-year anniversary of WJPN. Now get back to class. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. couple open lines at 833-288-3986. Next stop is the Republic of Texas. Gabriella is in San Antonio listening on Guadalupe Radio. Gabriella, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hello, uh, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, My question is... um, so there's a verse in the Bible that talks about, you know, doing things with love. And if, you know, you do miracles and all these things, then you're just, you know, you don't have love, you're a clashing gong and, and that. So mm-hmm. uh, with that verse in mind, um, when I do certain things, like, um, for example, say I, I pray for someone who I don't necessarily like, um, I, I know that I don't love them. Um, if I'm praying for them, but I'm not like a fan of theirs, does that count as me being a gong, could, or could you like maybe expand sure. more on what the rules are for that, please? Yeah. Well, there are no rules. Uh, it's it's. Are no you in- are you praying for their demise? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> then I'm you're not. Then, then I think you're fine. Yeah. No, we have in this world today, and probably of all time, a very distorted idea of what love is. Love is to will the good of the other person. And principally, that doesn't mean that they win the lottery or something like that. It means that they get to heaven, the greatest good that there is. So that's what real love is. Now, in addition to that, we can have warm, cozy feelings about people, you know, romantic love, or we can have the feelings of friendship and loyalty and so on, uh, the love of, you know, brothers and sisters, sibling love and friends and so on and so forth. So you can break that down into the emotional side. But it's the act of will that you love a person and you seek their authentic good. This is why so much in our the language and the talk of our society which suggests that, well, if your son is going astray or acting stupid and doing stupid things in their life, just continue to love them. Usually what that means is not that you you are honest, you're truthful, and you want their be- what is best, that you just, oh, you do what's best for you and blah, blah, blah. That's not love. Mother used to say, talk about this as, as, as a kind of, 
you know, false love. It's, it's, we think it's mercy, but in a way, it's almost a species of hate. I love you so little that I'm willing to allow you to go down the path of damnation or self-destruction in worldly matters. That's how little I love you, not to tell you you're on the wrong path, but I love you to affirm who you are because of you. You are you. That's nonsense. So you have the right idea of love in praying for a person. You don't have to like them. Uh, believe me, you look at our world around us, you look at the church around us, pray for everybody because we want everybody to get there. Now, there are people in this world that I don't have high confidence they're going to get there, but that doesn't mean we can't continue to pray for them and, and so on, whether we know them or whether they're public figures or, or whatever. So that's the true sense of love. To will the good of the other, in the first place, their spiritual good, and in the second place, their material good. And that means that we clothe the naked, visit the prisoners, help the sick, and and do all of those things which the, the gospel mentions in the gospel of Matthew that we do. That if you do this for the least of my brethren, you do it for me. That's the standard of love there. And there the love is not in the material thing per se, but in the fact that you're seeking the good of the other person, and yes, also in their material well-being as well. Thanks so much, Gabrielle. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Michael is in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you both for taking my call. I was... um waiting for a friend at the airport and started talking to a woman nearby, and I mentioned she was a former Catholic. I mentioned I was a Catholic. She said she was a former Catholic. Mm -hmm. Then her friend came by and said uh, he was a former Catholic and had attended a Jesuit high school. So that's two out of two, both (laughs) former Catholics. That's some average. Yeah, wow. That's pretty odd, what can be done um, uh, in a positive way to bring former Catholics back to the Church? Is it personal invitation, that weekend Catholics come back? Mm-hmm. All in positive. Well, you can't do what Fulton Sheen once did, push the woman into the confessional, uh, and, and that actually brought her back. Uh, we don't know people's minds, so I think the first thing to do is try to understand their mind. Uh, very often they're harbor, harboring some resentment uh, over some personal incident in their life. You know, we'll ask them, why, why did you leave the church or why aren't you practicing? It could be either of those, that they left the church because they disagreed with some teaching or they had a run-in with a priest or a nun that uh, was uh, disrespectful of them. There can be all kinds of personal reasons. Uh, they're very often theological, but I think Fulton Sheen was basically on record saying that usually it's personal moral behavior that's behind a lot of them. And so I think engage them in a conversation, well, why did you leave? Once you know and you have some insight where the issue is, where what the cause was, you know, then you have a possibility of reaching them with them on the apologetic level. Uh, on the personal level, maybe not, but to uh, you can use natural arguments, say, for instance, if it was a run-in with a, with, a, with a priest or they didn't like the bishop or they didn't like the pope or whoever it was. Well, you know, you're not ever going to find a human institution, and the church has 
is a divine institution, but it's sadly and unfortunately full of human beings. So we tend to measure Christ Church by the people we know and meet in the church. Uh, and that's inevitable. But you can't judge an institution. You can't judge the gospel, and you certainly can't judge Christ and his message and what he did in establishing a church and appointing pastors over it by the failings of anyone along the way. Because, after all, there is no institution on the planet that doesn't have failed persons in it. But as the Pope is always reminding us, the church is for the failed person. It's the hospital for the sick. So we want to encourage people. We need to help them, and a counselor in their purely secular situation would find out what the root of the cause, root cause is. And I think that may be all you're able to do in a conversation. But if you get them thinking about it or give them a simple, simple you know, thought about it as you go to your gate and they go to theirs or to their seat, as the case may be, if you're on the same plane, that may be the seed that starts a process of thinking. Let God work with that. And maybe they'll meet somebody else in the airport the next time they fly who will move them down the road. You can also, I think one of the keys is just to keep it simple. You know, exactly. and really, what is the one point that differentiates us from the rest of Christendom? The real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, really, right? Yeah, and if you want to give your own affirmation and your own your own explanation of why you love the church, that's a good place to start. Yeah, it is for sure, and yeah. that's you know, and, and and I think most times, if you ask the question, you're going to get a response very similar to what you described—that someone did something yeah. or someone behaved some way—and generally, those ways are not going to reflect what the church teaches. At that point, you can just say, you know, oh boy, if I if if that's what the church taught, I'd be right there with you. Yeah, uh, you know, but but that's you should not, have my pastor. But he is great. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what the church teaches, and I just couldn't leave yeah. the real presence of Christ yeah. in the Eucharist over yeah. something like that. But you know, it may help. It may well, not. and we trust in what the, you know. Uh, in the moment, we've been told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit will lead you. That's right. Surrender that inspiration. Don't be rude. Don't be cruel in any way. Don't be judgmental. But let the Holy Spirit guide you with the words that that person needs to hear. And even if they're simple, don't fret about it. As I said, it's a seed, and leave it leave it to him to water it. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Uh, next up is Ken in my hometown, St. Louis, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Ken, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hi. The uh, short question mm-hmm. is, I'd like to know if uh, I should go to a wedding. Uh, one of my wife's relatives uh, is getting married in June. Uh, accordingly, uh, they were told, I'm told, that uh, the parish priest could not marry them until October. Well, they're not going to wait, so they're going to have a ceremony uh, of some kind uh, in June. Uh, Her relative is a Catholic. He is not a Catholic. I don't know if he's of any religion or baptized or no religion Mm -hmm. at all. And uh, I'm not sure uh, who's going to officiate, whether it's going to be a deacon or just uh, some standby uh, person. And I want to know what criteria yeah. uh, should I sure. should I go or should we go or not? Well, the priest can delegate that. I, I suspect that the reason is that the archdiocese has a norm 
with regard to the preparation for marriage and the time. Many dioceses say six months. You go to the priest, there may be some, uh, you know, engaged encounter or something like that to go through. Every diocese will be a little bit different. But there usually is a time standard. So for the impatient who can't wait or think that they don't need the, you know, the help of something like that, then yes, they go outside the church and get married. Now, if it's not that, if it's a question of his own availability, then yes, he can delegate to somebody else, to a priest and even to a deacon. But he has to do that because that dispensation, the, the right to marry is with the pastor, and then others can be delegated. A priest who's in the family could be delegated. A deacon could be delegated. Uh, it could be done, for instance, when my wife and I got married, we were both uh, uh, we were both parishioners at the cathedral here, but she wanted to be married up in Connecticut, and so the priest there in her former parish where she grew up was delegated the authority to do that. So that's the question to ask. Is somebody being delegated to do that? If it's the time element, then there is probably nowhere in the archdiocese where they can lawfully marry. And in the case of a Catholic, that means there's no place in the archdiocese where they can validly marry either, because those are the conditions of validity for Catholics, is that their pastor or someone he delegates is the one who uh, will officiate. Others could be delegated. A rabbi could be delegated. A Lutheran minister or any Protestant minister could be delegated. But that delegation, that facultating, if you will, has to be done. And if it's not done, the church does not recognize the marriage as valid. So the question is, do they have dispensation for what they're doing? And then who is marrying them? If he's non-Catholic and is one of their ministers... It'd be very unlikely to get permission for a civil ceremony, however. That would be one thing they're unlikely to get. Thanks so much, Ken. We'll keep you in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us for Register Radio Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern. You know, when Cardinal Joseph Zen, the 90-year-old Bishop Emeritus of Hong Kong, was arrested and released on bail two weeks ago, it sent a clear signal of just how far China will go in trespassing on religious freedom. What's next for Cardinal Zen and for the Catholics and other religious believers in Hong Kong? Register Rome correspondent Ed Penton brings us that story and more, including how European pro-lifers are hailing the expected Dobbs decision. It's all on Register Radio, Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Lucy in Conshohock in Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lucy, you're on with Colin Donovan. Yes, hi, and thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I... I was just, I, I actually, when you were talking to Michael, you kind of gave a little bit mm-hmm. of what I asked. Um, I have a great niece uh, who has was married and has two children, uh, but all of a sudden it seems they want to um, be atheists. Were so, they Catholic uh, previously? She, n- no. Uh, her mother was Catholic, but... Um, her, uh, I'm sorry. If her mother was Catholic, 
Um, but she married a young man who I don't think had any religion background at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she, when she, when she got baptized, she got baptized in a Protestant church. That was another thing. So the only thing she had was the baptism. She never really went to church as well. As long as her grandmother was alive, they she went to church in the Protestant church. Not, not the Catholic grandmother, but the mm-hmm. or the yeah, the other the, side not of the, the family, mother, yeah. but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So uh, I remember one time I bought a book. I don't know whether it was at Christmas time and. Um, she said, we're not teaching our children about God. And so I said, are you atheist? And she said, yeah, maybe. (laughs) So my question is, (laughs) little girl's birthday is something, and I thought, do I? Well, you're in, yeah. I'm not sure how you can do that in um, a way that respects the parents' authority, uh, in terms of giving something explicitly Catholic, uh, you know, there might be something, you know, a lot of literature is not explicitly Catholic and very Catholic. Uh, you know, a lot of people go and they, you know, they read the books or watch the movie, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or something like that. Or um, now I, I think uh, Lewis's Narnia is a little bit more explicitly Christian. You might not be able to sell that one. Uh, but, uh, y- you know, the l- literary world has that, whether it's Shakespeare or whether it's something like Tolkien or um, different authors of that. So I, th- I think that's one possible route. It's very hard. You know, I see what is kids TV, for example, and it is very pagan. Um, There's a lot of witchcraft, a lot of sort of natural religion being expressed, and so that's a little bit uh, difficult to to fight with just simply toleration. So I think what I said to Michael probably is the best way to go and to deal with the parents and find out what is your objection religion. There are a lot of books, for instance, if the objection is, well, science has destroyed the possibility of the existence of God. Science has not. Some of the greatest scientists in human history have been Catholics, have won Nobel Prizes, uh, are, are today, and so on, in astronomy and biology and physics and other fields. So there's a lot of ammunition to throw back at that argument. Or maybe it's just the moral constraints. Uh, the political debate is filled with them today, whether it's abortion or gender ideology. You know, people feel, you know, as I know to do another caller, you know, they don't want to tell anybody that what they're doing is, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, the, you know they, do, they just feel, well, oh, if somebody is transgender, I'm going to affirm that. If somebody is this, that, or the other thing, I'll just affirm that. So they're very resistant to any religion that they consider to be judgmental and not with the times. Maybe that's the issue. If the kids are in the public schools, that's certainly the tenor of what they're being taught is a tolerance devoid of any kind of morality or, or, or touchstone to realism, but rather this, uh, subjectively, we just have to affirm people subjectively regardless 
So it's going to be an uphill battle, but, you know, go slow. You're in a better situation than meeting somebody in the airport because you know these people. You're going to see these people. Take your time. Trust in God. Pray about it. Plant the seeds. Um, and children will notice that. Don't think they don't notice our behavior. They don't notice our our love of the Lord or lack thereof. Uh, you can always set the, the example of your behavior and your love of Christ, your love of, of the mysteries of the faith and so on. And that's sort of an indirect way, but it can be very fruitful. Thanks, Lucy. We can probably squeeze in one more phone call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Aaron wants to know, what happens to your guardian angel when you die? Is there a St. Michael of the Hills <laughs> retirement community for uh, angelic beings? Well, they're, they are as old and they are as young as the day God created them. So, no, they are not retiring. Um, the general tradition is that our guardian angel is uniquely ours, and they will never be assigned to anyone else. Um, and so that is, that is a particular and special relationship, and one we should cultivate, actually. Uh, I think the, so many things in my own life I credit my guardian angel with because— well, I can't explain how little of me could have brought X, Y, or Z to fruition or about or whatever. But the angel is always at your side to light, to guard, to rule, and to guide, as the, the prayer we're taught in our youth says. Uh, and they are giving us inspiration. They are pricking our consciences when we don't do well. Uh, and so keep that, foster that relationship and uh, at the end of life, when your one and only guardian angel has you as his one and only protege, and you're together, you'll have a lot to rejoice with him about. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Very quickly, I think we've got another call here we'll get to in just one second, Colin, but in the meantime... Is there a Catholic equivalent, Peter wants to know, to karma? <laughs> well, it's justice, isn't it? So I guess you could say, uh, I think we all probably use that term because the culture understands it. Uh, you know, things go, what goes around comes around is another way of putting that. So there, there, is, there is clearly truth in that, and the reason it has made it into Eastern philosophy and religion uh, is precisely, it, it's a realistic assessment of, of the way the world is. You know, if you go around mistreating people, don't expect others to treat you well, ultimately. And so I think uh, whether you call that karma or justice or getting your just desserts or or whatever label you put on it, yes, it, it's a real thing. Uh, different religions will speak of it uh, in different ways. And Susan is in the great state of Connecticut listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Susan, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hi. I was questioning burial decisions. My mother and sister were spread over a flower garden in Connecticut, and mm -hmm. the priest gave me his, gave me his blessing. Um, they were all in that one spot. But I was told later that you had to be in a container and buried under the ground in a sacred area. And I'm trying to make my burial decisions, and I really wanted to be with them. Can you tell me any impact or anything you know about that? Yeah. Uh, the church 
doesn't like cremation. Um, it's allowed for, well, let's look historically at it, because I'll tell you how that's changed a little bit. It was allowed, obviously, during plague times and times when destruction of the uh, burning of the bodies meant the safety of other people. Uh, obviously, uh, it's burial at sea in a military context is in a, a case where burial in the ground is not possible. So there are circumstances where what is necessary to be done is what is allowed to be done. In our day, the church has approved the use of cremation. Uh, so there, there's the, the first crack in that uh, monolithic wall of the centuries. But again, the uh, cremains, uh, if they're sometimes called, are either placed in a columbarium, which is a place that is blessed, and Catholic cemeteries have them now, public cemeteries. And parishes. And parishes even, such as our own cathedral parish. And, or to be, um, uh, the body obviously can be buried in the ground. Those are the acceptable ways. The scattering of the ashes is a disrespect for the sacredness of the body. It is an emotional desire, as if this was some kind of closeness. Obviously, there's a financial element involved. And so the use of the columbariums is the answer to that, because it doesn't have the expense of uh, in-ground burial. So, no, I would say don't do that yourself. Um, you know, it's a shame that, you know, the, the, the garden will change. The, the, I imagine the ashes have long since blown away anyway, to be honest, washed away in the rain into the sewers. It's not really a very pleasant thought. Uh, why not burial? And you can go there, and 500 years from now, if the tombstone is still there, others will be able to found where the great XYZ was buried. Colin, thanks so much for being so gracious with your time. Let's do it again next week. Why not? Sounds like a plan. On behalf of our host, Colin Donovan, <clears throat> excuse me, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it next week with... Father John Tregilio on Monday, Father Wade Menezes talking faith, family, and fellowship on Tuesday, Father Mitch is in the house on Wednesday, Dominican Father Brian Milady on Thursday, and Colin will be back to round out another week next Friday. Have a great weekend until we get together next time. God bless.